Let's get right to work. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. But he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And we sang about the light this morning. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, "When Then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered to them and said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you are the word, the living word. And God, as we come today to gather together as your body, We don't simply want to receive written words that fill our heads with knowledge, but God, we come to receive from you, to receive of you, to partake of you through this word and through the sacrament of communion this morning. And so God, I pray that we would not leave merely having gained knowledge but that we would leave this morning having been filled from feeding on the only Son of God, our Savior, Jesus. We give you thanks for this, 
that you have prepared for us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today we're going to take uh, time to do a one-off sermon. And what I mean by that is that this, this has no, no real attachment to any series beyond uh, the only attachments that it have uh, would be uh, the ligaments of values that we have as a church that are kind of attached to it, that hold it in place and make it dear to us. Uh, because today what we're going to talk about is the incarnation. Now the incarnation itself is a doctrine that is fundamental to our faith as believers who have been justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we believe that Jesus Christ was not merely a man who lived and was good, not merely a prophet who had understanding of things that are good, but that he was and is, in fact, the living, eternal Son of God, the only begotten Son of God who was not created but exists eternally from time before time and into eternity. He is the Christ, the Son of God, who became flesh. And the word incarnation literally means to become flesh. And so we believe that Jesus is God who became flesh for us. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. And what we just read is really probably the biggest chunk of Scripture that really just describes Jesus becoming flesh. And um, this is a beautiful narrative at the beginning of John's uh, gospel. One of the things that really separates uh, the gospel of John from the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is that John really kind of, uh, it's, for lack of a better word, it's really more of an artistic gospel. Uh, because John takes time to really uh, delve almost artistically, um, uh, provokingly into what the facts mean for us. Interpretation, really, of what the facts mean. Whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke really just kind of give us the facts. Uh, which is beautiful. It's good. We need that. And so this is not to elevate John above the other Gospels, but simply to say uh, we can receive the facts from Matthew, Mark, and Luke in a way that gives us a good working understanding of what was happening in the life and times of Jesus Christ as he lived and walked on this earth. But John really begins to interpret the life and times of Jesus Christ for us so that we understand what's happening. Uh, to give a very, very modern pop culture reference, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the walking dead, and John is the talking dead, all right? So the talking dead is the show you watch after the walking dead to interpret what has just happened for you and help you distill what's going on and understand what's happening, all right? For those of you who love zombies, that meant a lot to you. For those who don't, just let it go, all right? So... Um, Anyways, some people that made their day and they're going to have a hard time listening to anything else for the rest of the sermon. So hone in here and hear what I'm saying. 
So John is giving us facts, but then he's also interpreting what those facts mean for us. And so he lets us know that Jesus existed with God. Not only was he with God, but he was God. That is a fact. And that's something that we need to understand and, and something that we need to do as, a, as individuals, but also corporately as a body, is understand that we do not take the word of God and then try to apply it to our lives. What we do is we take the word of God and we apply our lives to the word of God. And so that means we take the word of God at what it says. And then if our life is out of line with the word of God, then we apply our life to the word of God. And so what we need to understand first and foremost is that Jesus Christ, what it's telling us here, is God. He was not a man who was good. He was not a prophet as Islam would say, uh, others would say he, is, he was a, a good man. Islam goes as far as saying he was a, a prophet. We say, the Bible says, we say because the Bible says that Jesus is God. That's important. Now this is where the incarnation becomes poetry in motion. Because the one who was God... Above all, who created everything, purposefully, intentionally wrote himself into the very story that he created. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, we know from being taught and things that we've heard that we were made in the image of God. That comes from the original creation narrative that this one reflects in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We were made in the image of God to be like God, but we are like him. We are not him. But God, who was above, made himself to be like us. He emptied himself, Paul would say in Philippians now, that does not mean that he dumped out all of his godness, but simply what that turn of phrase, what Paul is meaning there in the literal translation of that is that he humbled himself. The one who was above made himself as those who were beneath him. And so, true doctrine would say that Jesus was, is fully God and fully man. He was not God who became man only, or he was not a man that God then endowed with God-like character. He is God who is the I am who has existed forever, and he became what he was not. He became a man by putting on flesh. Literally, like you and I put on clothes, God put on Flesh. That's why the Message Bible, when talking about Emmanuel in Isaiah, would say a very beautiful phrase that God put on flesh and blood clothes and moved into the neighborhood. So not only did he become man, but he entered humanity at the lowest possible place. As a baby, doesn't get any lower and humbler than that, absolutely, completely codependent upon his mother. But not only that, born 
in a feeding trough, right? Born in a stable and laid in a feeding trough, which is almost like God was saying, see, I'm going to let you see just how low I'm willing to go to meet you where you are. That's incarnation. See, God didn't simply put on flesh and show up in glory and power and splendor, but completely humbled himself as low to the lowest common denominator so that there would be no one outside the reach of his substitution for them and in their place. And so the incarnation has a lot to do with substitution. And you hear us say a lot that the gospel can be summarized, Jesus in my place. Because it was his perfect life lived for me and in my place that now counts for me. His perfection in life becomes mine. And then his death becomes my death. And so substitution is huge in Christian doctrine. But without the incarnation, that substitution would have been incomplete. Um, anyone who has ever played games with a child can understand where I'm coming from here in saying that it would be incomplete. If I was to say to my son, who is 18 months old, kind of just freshly got his, you know, land legs under him, all right, uh, he can run a little bit, you know, sometimes gets a little top-heavy, ends up going head first. But if I said, son, let's race, and we're going to do a 100-meter dash, and you run as fast as you can, and I'm going to run as fast as I can, and let's see who wins. Who's going to win? Me. Every time. And I'm not even that great of a sprinter. Why? Because my ability far surpasses my son's. Right? So what do I have to do if I want to have a fair race with my son? I have to handicap myself. Right? Something Jason's always trying to get me to do when I play golf with him. says, I have no respect for my elders. It's not fair unless I handicap myself, right? Because it's not an even comparison. And so Jesus coming down in all of his godlike splendor and knocking it out of the park as only God and not human, isn't, that isn't what God had in mind. Because if he wanted that, he would have just planted Jesus in the Garden of Eden. But see, God had a design, a plan, an order. And his order was that there would be a man, a federal head, a, a head of a family that would live as a man in obedience to God and earn the well-done, good and faithful servant. And so Jesus had to be handicapped. He had to be humbled. And so he put on humanity for you and for me. Why? To buy us back. Redemption. 
The incarnation has everything to do with redemption. That's the namesake of our little community here, Redemption Hill. And, and without the incarnation, redemption was impossible because it would be trading with different currency. And so the currency had to be exchanged so that the, the transaction could be completed. The incarnation is about buying back God's family. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says that Jesus was the son born of a woman under the law to redeem so that we might receive adoption. The incarnation is about redeeming, buying back God's family. I mean, what does it say here in what we just read in John 1, 12? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Adoption. The elect being bought back and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so let's talk a little bit about what this incarnation means for us. I mean, why did Jesus have to be Human. Why is incarnation, being human, Jesus putting on flesh and blood clothes and moving into the neighborhood, why is that important, necessary for redemption? Now, just so you don't think that I'm this smart, I'm borrowing this from Grudem's systematic theology. One of the big and primary reasons is for representative obedience. Remember, it's what we were just talking about. In order for it to count for us, it had to be as us. He had to do it as a son of man in order for it to count. And so let's go to Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, Adam... So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, Jesus. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, Adam, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So one of the primary reasons that Jesus had to be incarnate, put on flesh and blood, was so that representative obedience could be transferred. Now, what is that? Representative obedience. And I'll try and break some of this stuff down for you guys today. Think of the House of Representatives, Congress, right? What's going on? Well, what's supposed to be going on there, right? The, the original intent of the forefathers, okay, was that there would be those who would act on behalf of their peers, Right? So they were us, and we sent them to act on behalf of us, right? Not their own agenda, not what the lobbyist might say, not the person in power might say, but to act on our behalf, right? Now that is a broken shadow of what Jesus does for us in perfection, he came to be human so that as one of us, he could act on our behalf. Representative obedience. That means that 
as he became human and lived this life as we live, as the Bible says, being tempted in every way such as common to man, his obedience through each one of those phases of life, come on, through those difficult decisions, through those relationships, through through every temptation that is common to man, his obedience through those things, for those who believe in him, who have been counted as his, his obedience counts for those people. And if that's you, then you can lift up a hearty amen, hallelujah, praise God, thank you, Jesus. Because that means it's not your obedience that counts. It's not your ability to win the 100-meter dash. It's Jesus' ability. And we have the benefit of being post-cross, which means we get to look back and hear him say, it is finished, checkered flag, done. Right? Praise God. The second thing is substitute sacrifice. So it's not enough for him to simply live in our place. He also had to die in our place. Because even if you had the ability, which you do not, to live a perfect life, you by being human and from the seed of Adam carry sin in your very nature. You're not a sinner by choice. You are a sinner by birth. And so you, you are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. And the only way to become not a sinner is not to quit sinning. It's to have a new father. A new federal head. And so Jesus comes, born of a woman, but from the seed of God. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And so he's born as a human, but sinless. And so because he was sinless, pure, spotless, he could be, as John will say later in this same chapter of chapter 1 to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, Jesus had to do what we were incapable of doing so that it would count for us. But to count, he had to do it being made in every way like us. He had to handicap himself or it would not have been a fair trade. And part of what separates mythology from Christology is that Jesus was not half and half. He was wholly God and wholly human, fully God and fully man. Hebrews 2, 16 through 17. We're going to do a little bit of Bible gymnastics this morning. If you want to try and keep up, you can. If you want to just go back and listen to the podcast and write it all down then, then you can do that too. Hebrews 2, 16 through 17. 
For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he, meaning Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Here we go. Ready to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, There's some words that aren't in the Bible that are big words that we probably don't have to use all the time and we can get away with just explaining our way around them. Then there are some very big words that are in the Bible and we need to use them and explain them so that when you read your Bible and you get to that word, you know what the heck it means. Okay, so let's break down propitiation because it's a biblical word and you need to know what it means. Propitiation means to completely, wholly appease the wrath of God. So propitiation means means to completely and wholly appease the wrath of God. Okay? Um, Actually, probably even more accurately to completely absorb, in this instance, the wrath of God. So it did not, Christ's sacrifice for us and in our place did not simply deter the wrath of God like a channeling water, but like a sponge, rather, completely absorbed all of the wrath of God for you. And that wrath, like a sponge, will be wrung out at the end of days. So for those who believe, Jesus has become the propitiation, the complete absorbment of God's wrath for them and in their place. But that wrath will be wrung out at the end of days on those who, who did not believe, and Satan for whom it was intended. Okay? So he became a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Now, this is going to play into the next one that we're going to talk about when it says he became a faithful high priest. But propitiation... If Jesus had not been incarnate, that propitiation could not have been completed. He had to become like us in every way so that he could absorb all the wrath of God for you and in your place. Which is why we can say with confidence, believer, God's not angry with you. I mean, are you serious? Yes, that's what this means. Right? When it says you have peace with God through your Savior, Jesus Christ, it's not a fleeting thing. It is a done and finished thing. Because God's wrath has been absorbed in the Son, Jesus Christ. He's not angry with you. He'll discipline you because He loves you, but He's not angry with you. All right? Are you guys tracking? Is this good? Or should we just stop? All right, let's go. Number three, 
because Jesus was flesh, because he was incarnate, now we can have one mediator between God and man. Not only did he act on our behalf, but now he speaks on our behalf. Do you see the difference there? So we've talked about him acting on our behalf in the sense of his living, acting on our behalf in the sense of his dying, but now he presently, today, right this very moment, speaks on our behalf to the Father. 1 Timothy uh, 2, verse 5. We go to there and we see what it says. Paul writing to his protege. He says to Timothy, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Interesting that he says that, isn't it? He didn't say, he didn't say, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, Jesus, but he drew our attention into the incarnation, reminding us that the reason Christ can be and is our mediator is because he became one of us. Because he could only speak on our behalf as one of us. Right? That's why there always has to be that one brave guy with the white flag Walking out and risking it all for everybody else to what? Speak on their behalf as one of them. And right now, Jesus acts, the man, Jesus, acts as our mediator. Speaking to God on our behalf. There is also a prosecutor in that great trial case. The great accuser. Satan, who accuses our sinful nature and places it against us, but we have a great defense. It's our mediator, the man Jesus, who says, wait, hang on. Looking, looking, looking. Yes, he's in. She's in. What I did counts for them. Case closed. Next. Praise God. Not only was he there to give representative obedience, to be the substitutionary sacrifice, to become our mediator, but he also came to fulfill God's original plan, design, and order. And so Jesus comes to rule over creation as a man in God's original plan and design. Matthew 28, 18, the verse that we call the Great Commission, gives indication to this when he says what? All power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus stands now as the perfect Adam who has been obedient to his creator and now has dominion over everything in heaven and in earth. Not only that, but he has come to be our example and pattern for life. Now, I want to be very careful with this. Because we hear this and it's true. 
Jesus has come to be our example and pattern in life, but not in the way that we have been taught so many times. Because we hear that, and what we try to do is we try to then make Jesus a decision matrix for our life. And we try to kind of lay that matrix down over the decisions that we have to make in our life and see where the bubbles line up, you know, like you're p- comparing products on the internet, you know, do I get this product or that product? And they do those things where they lay them side by side and they kind of show you where one outperforms the other, right? Okay, that's the decision I'm going to make, right? We hear that Jesus has come to be the pattern Uh, an example for a life, and we try to use that as a decision matrix. A good uh, indication of that is uh, the WWJD uh, phenomenon, right? Where Charles M. Sheldon would probably turn over in his grave if he understood how uh, the beautiful story that he wrote to provoke us to the gospel was being used. To go, what should I do today, magic eight ball? I mean, wristband. WWJD. The problem with that is that you can't do what Jesus did. That's why he came to do it for you. But how he did what he did does become a pattern and example for our life. So how did Jesus do what he did? He did it by loving people. He did it by Humbling himself. He did it by serving others, right? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He did it by being incarnational, by humbling himself and moving into the neighborhood and being with the people. So how you do what you do matters much more than what you do. And when you get in the what you do, WWJD decision matrix, what you're getting into is legalism and behavior modification. If Jesus did that, then I need to try and do that. Rather than because Jesus lived this way, then therefore I also need to live in this way. Funny, isn't it, that Christianity... The term only came around later, and what did they say it was before then? That they, they were following the way? That they lived in the way? It didn't mean that they were doing all the things that Jesus did. It meant they were living in the way that Jesus lived by loving and serving and giving and caring. And all of those things they could not do apart from the Holy Spirit's regenerative work in their hearts. And neither can you. So yes, Jesus came to be our example and pattern for life, but not in what we do, but how we do what we do, which will, in fact, over time, change what you do. But that's not the point. Not only that, Jesus came to be our example and pattern for our redeemed bodies. Now, this one kind of gets me a little jacked up, all right, in a good way. Because this life, I suck, okay? Just putting it out there. Not very good at living this life. 
what I am super stoked about is what is to come, right? Where no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pride, no more arrogance, no more conceit, no more uh, sin in my life. Now we're talking about something awesome, okay? So uh, one of the most fun verses to read in a funeral of a believer is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49. This is like out of comic book stuff, and it's amazing. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, again, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. It gets better. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable mortal body must put on the imperishable immortal body. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory, O death. Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Booyah! I love that. And so not only is Jesus our pattern and example For life, he's our pattern and example for the life to come, which means if he was raised in imperishable immortality, we also shall be raised in imperishable immortality. And that is freaking awesome. Excuse me, sorry. I say freaking. All right, number seven. He is there to sympathize as our high priest. You see, Jesus now knows from experience, literally, what we are going through. He knows from experience what we are going through. And so in Hebrews 2, verse 18, it says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because he has, he can, and is able to help. Uh, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We quote verse 16 a lot. Boldly, therefore, let us come before the throne of grace. But the reason we can so boldly, therefore, come is because, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Therefore, let us come with boldness before the throne of grace. You see, the incarnation is so important. Here's the deal. You have probably experienced this in life. There are some people who want to help, but just can't. They aren't able to. Why? Because they are not able to sympathize with your situation. Either they have not gone through what you have gone through or they've not been tempted in the way that you have been tempted. But Jesus has been tempted in every way, yet without sin. Which means you can go to him and find the sympathy that you need. You need sympathy. But I can't always give it to you in purity. Because I haven't always gone through what you have gone through, but Christ has. And his incarnation is proof of that. Some people can help and they just don't. You could help me, but you choose not to. But Jesus can. And he does. And better than that, he wants to. He wants to. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I would come in and we would sup together. I mean, the context of that may not directly apply, but the heart of that does. That you have a mediator, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who wants to sympathize with you. Do you ever look up at heaven and say, God, do you not understand what I am going through down here? And Jesus stretched out his arms on a cross and he said, I get it. I understand. The incarnation as it plays out through all of scripture and what we're doing today is like a touch on the systematic theology of the incarnation. But something that you see as it's played out from the very beginning of the promise in Genesis that there would come from the seed of a woman, one who would crush the head of the serpent all the way through to the culmination of all things at the end of time is that Jesus did not come, humble himself, put on flesh and blood clothes, and then as soon as he crossed the threshold of home back in heaven, took those dirty, stinking rags off and shed them at the door and said, Daddy, we better burn those things because they stink. (laughs) It's not what happened. Jesus will forevermore be a man. After the resurrection, in his glorified body, he had flesh and bone The disciples touched him. He ate food. He walked, talked, was seen by over 500 people after death, promised to drink wine with us, invited us to a feast that is not metaphysical. It's real. We're going to get our eat on. He invited us to a heavenly feast and he is still living and active right now acting as our true prophet priest and king 
each role fulfilled as a requirement of being fully God and fully man. Philippians 2, 5 through 7, I referenced earlier, talking about Jesus humbling himself, emptying himself. Paul writes and he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, why? Why do we take all this time today to go through this? And it has to do with the first five words of verse 5 here in Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. Jesus' incarnation for us and on our behalf is a model, remember, not in what we do, but in how we do it. To be incarnational for the people around us. And one of the things that we battle as church folk is we easily become so heavenly-minded that we are of no earthly good. We meet Jesus, the one who moved into the neighborhood, and then we move out. We receive the incarnation from Jesus, and then we try to put off our carnal bodies to become what he is instead of recognizing that he came to be what we are and will forevermore be. Now, just go here with me for a minute, okay? In Christ's incarnation, really, and in, in how some of the ancients used to describe this very simply, more beautiful in Latin, but in English it'll do, Okay? Remaining who he was, or excuse me, remaining what he was, he became what he was not. Okay, so that's a real simple way of describing the incarnation of Christ. Remaining what he was, fully God, he became what he was not, fully man, for us and on our behalf. That's the incarnation, simply put. And for us, the same remains, but we have to make sure that what we are becoming is the right thing. So when we become saved, we remain what we are in the sense that I remain Mike. And just because I get saved doesn't mean I move out of my neighborhood. It doesn't mean that I quit hanging out with my friends. It doesn't mean that I cut myself off from my family who aren't saved. It means I remain who and what I am. If I'm a model airplane builder in the model airplane builder community, I stay in the model airplane building community for the sake of the gospel. 
I still need to become what I am not, but where do we go here? Now follow me. A lot of times, we try to become like God. Hear me, church. That is what got us in trouble in the first place. Do those words sound familiar? You will be like God, knowing both good and evil. We already know good and evil. We're there. Okay? But God became like man. You see, Jesus came to show us what it truly means to be human. What it means to live out the humanity that he designed, created, planted in the garden. And then after he had said everything was good, he said, and that is very good. But we become believers and we buy into the lie, the very first lie that there was, and we move out of the neighborhood. We try to shed our flesh. Pretend like we are holier than thou. There's only one who is holy. It's the man, Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. Grab this. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this isn't something you're going to have to try to do. It's there. It's there. You need to rest. Quit trying to be what you are not and be what you are and let God Make you what you are not for the sake of the gospel in your neighborhood, in your place of work, for your family members, for your church community. Jesus didn't come to make us something other than human. He came to buy us back so that we truly could be human. The incarnation should change the way we Live, think, act, pray, grieve, party, celebrate. How does it change the way you face temptation when you understand that Christ has been tempted in every way like you have and he did it so that he could become the mediator who sympathizes with you because he was tempted in every way like you? It's not good and isn't, can I just get a witness? It's not good enough to hear that Jesus did it. But something changes when I hear he did it so that he could sympathize with you and be your mediator between you and God. That changes the game for me. It's not good enough to go, well, something, he did it, good for him. It changes when what he did now counts for me. And he did it so that he could sympathize with me and be the mediator that I need between myself and God. How can it help you pray? Well, what did it say? It said, boldly come before the throne of grace because of this. So because of this, now I can have a boldness when I pray that I understand that when I walk into the throne room of heaven, I am welcome there. I'm welcome there. That's home. That's daddy's den. And he said, I can come whenever I want. How does the most difficult thing you're facing right now compare to what Jesus faced for you? 
And does that give you confidence to approach him knowing that he did it in obedience to the Father for your benefit because he loves you? How does it change the way we love others, our families, neighbors, our community of faith, our city? Does it change what mission should look like? One of the things that I struggled with living overseas is I would watch people who would minister to people in the depths of depravity and poverty wave goodbye and go live in their mansion on the hill. There was like a disparity there for me. Now, that's not, (laughs) I'll just be real with you. I lived in a house with a swimming pool and a tennis court. It was awesome. It was beautiful. But I struggled even with that. And I'm not saying it's not, you can't have nice things. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not preaching a poverty gospel here. But I am saying that there's a disparity when you minister to a certain context of people but then aren't willing to live where they are and be where they are. That's why one of the number one rules of working in the mission field is when they serve you something to eat, you eat it. Because when you share a meal with them, the meal that they would eat, that speaks to the incarnation. And so we have an opportunity to be incarnational. Remember, remaining what he was, Jesus became what he was not. How can we remain who and what we are but become who we are not? It means we can't always run at the first sight of sin, right? Like sometimes as Christians, we can be like the the person who can't stand the sight of blood, right? First sight of blood and we faint, we're out of here. Oh, I just can't take it. I can't handle it. If we're going to be incarnational in an in a, in a imperfect way, the way that Christ was incarnational for us, it means we can't run at the first sight of sin. And Jesus didn't either. I mean, he was known as being a friend of sinners. He was accused of being a drunk and a glutton. Now, you don't get that accusation without cause. I'm not saying he was a drunk and a glutton because he was sinless. But he was accused of being a drunk and a glutton. And maybe there's a fine line there when you do something to the glory of God. It means we can't always run at the first sight of sin. It means we don't withdraw from our normal stomping grounds. Now, this is, this is tough because there, there are times, I believe, where wisdom says that if you were involved in certain things before you got saved and as the Lord, uh, through the Holy Spirit over time, gives you conviction about certain things to cut out of your life, then you've got to do that. You've got to be obedient. And what that means is that that is not the area that God is at this present time calling you to be a light for the gospel in because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is too weak at this point. But I do not believe that it is an across-the-board rule of thumb that once you get saved, you come to faith, that you cut yourself off from your past. That is 
that is actually that that I can confidently say that is not what we should do because it flies in the face of the gospel. Never once, never once do you hear Jesus say to someone who comes to faith or someone in his ministry, now go home, quit hanging out with all of your friends, don't talk to anybody about, you know, these things and even when he told someone not to tell anyone that they got healed, they couldn't keep their mouth shut. And God was over all over all that anyways. Do you hear what I'm saying? And if you have removed yourself, it's time to put flesh and blood clothes in and move back into the neighborhood. Whatever that means for you. And I trust the Holy Spirit to give application there. Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we're going to kind of wrap it up here. Just by way of mentioning, does the incarnation change the way we look at Halloween? Coming up on Friday, neighbor's going to be knocking on your door. You going to be in the neighborhood or are you going to move out? Just asking. Here we go. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. A living sacrifice. God wants a body. He's already got your heart. He wants your body. Galatians 2.20 For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God or by the faithfulness of the Son of God. Both are true. Both are accurate translations of the text. The only way I can live by faith in the Son of God is living by the faithfulness of the Son of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now hear me as we close. You cannot be Jesus to anyone. You cannot be Jesus to anyone And you don't need to be Jesus to anyone because nobody needs you. They need the actual Jesus. They need Jesus, not you. But you can reflect Jesus. Act like him by loving like him the best way that you can, which is, in my case, pretty crappy. But, but, (laughs) even in broken, shadowy ways. It can make them thirsty to receive the real thing. The reason we read all the way through to John in the first chapter of John is because I believe that attitude that John has is the attitude that we are supposed to have as believers. The one who came before me is above me, and I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. But let me tell you about him, because he's the Lamb of God who can take away the sin in your life. I can point to him, 
and when I love my neighbors without needing anything in return, when I give without expecting anything from anyone, when I care for someone just because they need caring for, I am reflecting the incarnation of Christ. And it is my prayer that through that love and service and giving and caring that there will come a day, not that I kick open the door, but that the Holy Spirit pulls the door open that I'll be able to speak the gospel into that person's life. And believing that God has prepared that day, they will respond in faith because the Holy Spirit will have already given it to them to respond with. So this is what I would say. In light of the incarnation, church, eat, drink, be merry, throw a party, go to a party, bring the best wine to the party, give the best treats, and when and only when God opens the door, share the true love of Christ with your mouth. And do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. And he will not abandon you. And we will see people walk from incarnation into conversation, confrontation, and transformation as we watch people who have not yet responded in faith, respond in faith as God gives it to them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus, thank you so much for putting on flesh and blood clothes and moving into our neighborhood. Thank you so much for acting on our behalf in life, for acting on our behalf in death, for becoming our mediator, for showing us how to live in the way that you lived, loving and caring and serving without needing anything in return because you had everything you needed from your Father and we have everything we need from our Father because of you. Thank you for giving us hope for the future and redeeming our past. Thank you for now giving us your mind, the mind of Christ, which enables us to humble ourselves. And in the way that you were incarnational for us, we can now become incarnational for the people that you have placed around us. God, I pray that this will have immediate consequence this week as we live out incarnation through this crazy holiday called Halloween when people show up on our front doorstep and in our front yards I pray that it will have consequence as we enter into this whole holiday season and gather around tables with family and friends God I pray that it will have consequence in the way we order our lives, the things we choose to spend and invest our money in and spend and invest our time in. God, the people we choose to invest in, the church we choose to invest in. God, I pray 
that as we gather in our missional communities over the months to come and really start to discuss this together and flesh it out and try things and fail at things and succeed at things that God we would hear your heartbeat that it would cause us to borrow a turn of phrase to march and dance to the beat of a different drummer that the world's economy and everything that is of our flesh would continually be scrubbed away not so that we can become something other than what you created us to be but simply so that we can become who you created and intended us to be in the first place and all that pray that with me and agree, say amen.